Nairobi is the capital city of Kenya and the country's political and economic hub. It is home to almost 5 million people. Many of Nairobi's residents live in unplanned neighborhoods, also referred to as slums or informal settlements. Kibera is one of Africa's most renowned informal settlements and amongst Nairobi's largest. Over the last couple of years, it has been observed that Nairobi's weather and climate are changing. Nairobi is expected to experience rising temperatures and is already experiencing changes in its two main rainy seasons, which has led to longer dry spells than usual. Hello, I'm Nora Nisi, the host of the second episode of Action for Adaptation from the Adaptation Research Alliance, or the ARA. We're a global coalition with members from across the adaptation community who are responding to the challenges of climate change with the urgency demanded by science. ARA members share a collective vision of being able to achieve this through action-oriented research. But what do we mean by that? We aim to answer that question in this episode through the lens of an action research project currently underway in East Africa. We'll examine the impacts and challenges of this approach then break down why the ARA focuses on action research as a mechanism for change. It is emerging tonight that Kenya requires billions of shillings in funding to resolve climate-related challenges that the country has been grappling with for years, amongst them drought and flooding. Severe weather caused by climate change is a real risk for those living in informal townships. Their fragile homes can be destroyed when heavy rains block drains, for example. Where previously the only way to predict this risk was to look up to the sky, residents of these communities in Nairobi and Dar es Salaam can now get advanced weather and climate information from developing risk awareness through joint action, better known as the Daraja service. In Nairobi alone, nearly 100% of the service beneficiaries can now take action in response to extreme weather, like clearing community drains before the rains. And 72% have saved their incomes, homes, and furniture thanks to the service. The Daraja project means a lot to me because uh, it has made me realize the importance of uh, having access to weather information. And not only having access, but using the information. I believe that we are going to continue providing the information to our community. And I believe and I hope also that probably we are going to continue uh, working together in one way or another so that we make our communities safe from extreme weather conditions. What is Daraja and how has its innovative approach been able to achieve these results? We're joined by its project manager, Sunina Sen from Resurgence, to learn more. Welcome, Sunina. Tell us a little bit about Daraja. So oftentimes there's a disconnect between the weather information that's produced and the users of this information. This disconnect affects the user's ability to take protective or adaptive action, potentially resulting in the loss of lives, livelihoods, and assets. So this disconnect is felt more profoundly and has a greater impact on highly vulnerable populations, such as the residents of informal settlements like Kibera in Nairobi and Kigogo Bayuni in Dar es Salaam. So our project Daraja focuses on bridging this gap. The Daraja service enables uh, collaborations between various actors in the city system to strengthen the weather communication system with the aim to make weather information more actionable. Usually, most of these actors operate in silos with very little interaction with the actual users of the forecasts. 
And hence, the Raja places the users, particularly the vulnerable communities, at the center of the system itself and also in the process of developing this system. So rather than viewing residents as the last mile of a linear system, we took a dynamic information ecosystem approach with users in the central role. Now, this results in a system that's user-centric, inclusive, and collaborative, and ultimately produces information that is usable by vulnerable populations. Most of the project has been co-designed and implemented with the community, with national meteorological agencies, and other key stakeholders in Nairobi and Dar es Salaam. And the collaborative relationships developed between these stakeholders has sustained beyond the closure of this project. That's so fascinating. Thank you so much, Sunena. Climate risk communication is such an important component of, of the process. You mentioned vulnerable communities, such as highly vulnerable residents of informal settlements as users of Daraja. What does life look like for the vulnerable communities that use Daraja? What unique climate risks do they face? So the vulnerable communities uh, we work closely with live in informal settlements, also known as slums in various parts of the world. These communities are typically located in high-risk areas, such as next to rivers in low-lying areas. In the locations we have worked, these areas experience increasing temperatures, droughts, and extreme and inconsistent rainfall. These have impacts such as loss of lives, productivity losses, displacement, health impacts, and many more impacts. These factors are magnified by other risk factors like high population density, the structure of the house, building materials, inadequate sanitation and solid waste management. Now to add to this, these communities have limited access to information on weather and climate, limited access to health service and other essential services, and also have typically low income levels. And since we're talking about forecasts, weather forecasting as a full service is typically focused on specific sectors like agriculture and aviation, but not urban informal settlements. So there's high exposure and vulnerability and limited resilience capacity. James is one of Kibera's community leaders living and working on the front line of Nairobi's shifting climate. My name is James Kirika. I'm a Weather Mtani leader. Weather Mtani is a group of community leaders who interpret and translate the weather forecast that comes from the Kenya Meteorological Department into a simple language that uh, people in Kibera can easily understand. For us to gain a, a visual to better understand this, how can Daraja help these people? Right, so in Nairobi and Dar, we have seen the impact on individuals like James. Supported by the Daraja service, James is better able to make decisions and take protective actions based on forecasts. These decisions range from more structural aspects such as repairing the roof in time for the rainy season or non-structural decisions like planning safe routes to work or to school for his kids. Community members like James have collaborated with the National Meteorological Agencies and other key stakeholders throughout the Daraja project. For example, one of the key outputs of the Raja were improved forecasts. In a three-day workshop, forecasters used research data and live feedback from the community to redesign their forecast. And at every step of this redesign process, community members were able to give feedback. So they've given feedback on um, points like terminology that's used in the forecast, additional elements to include, color scheme, etc. 
and the resulting forecast reflects the needs and preferences of the users, thereby making it more understandable and usable. Wow, these are really great examples, uh, Sunena, and I can really see how processes such as live feedback can be so beneficial for the communities and really fostering here a bottom-up approach. The ARA tends to use Daraja as one of its examples of action research in practice. What do you think? How does Daraja capture the essence of action research? Well, Nora, it feels good for our Daraja community to be appreciated for the action research and practice principle um, to our work. And through ARA, we've been able to engage with and learn from other initiatives who also illustrate this, uh, this principle. Um, in Daraja, we start with understanding the city's and community's needs. We spent approximately six months at the start of the project to do our baseline research and initiate relationships. And the purpose of the research was really to um, design user-centric services based on identified needs. We wanted the research findings to lead the design rather than design the service and then find data to fit it. Although we were committed to tracking our donors' log frame indicators, we developed our research questions and methodology after an initial round of research. We worked with uh, community members to test and revise our survey questions and also to translate them into the local language. We hired locals as enumerators and trained them to conduct surveys. We then took the research findings to the stakeholders in a multi-stakeholder workshop setting to analyze it and validate it together. Um, at this point, we did not have the pilot services, by the way. So we're still in the research phase. This is towards the end of the research phase of the project. Um, it was in this multi-stakeholder workshop that we then co-designed approximately five to six pilots in each city using the research findings. We let the research and the community guide our implementation decisions. I guess I'm not the only one um, in believing that scaling this up would be really fantastic. And Daraja means bridge in Swahili, which seems quite fitting. How can the linkages it makes between users, in this case, vulnerable communities, and the producers of climate and weather information be replicated elsewhere? So at its core, the Raja is an approach or model. And as such, it can be applied anywhere where there is a need to improve weather and climate information service. Uh, we have developed the Raja into a program now and aim to deploy this model in several cities. As we saw in Nairobi and Dar, where this model was applied simultaneously, the process was the same, the project inputs were similar, but there were some differences in the outputs. This reflects the contextual differences across countries, even cities within the same country. So every deployment of the Raja will need to be contextualized to the socio-economic, cultural and political realities of the city. Um, and where we are currently, it is currently being implemented in Jamaica. And uh, we're starting to hyper-focused the Raja implementations in a couple of other areas in Dar es Salaam. And uh, we've also been developing a project outline for India. Now, obviously, for scale-up, um, finance is absolutely fundamental. Uh, but with increased focus on adaptation and resilience, we believe that finance mechanisms will reflect the shift leading to increased resilience of cities through initiatives like Daraja. Thank you so much. It's fantastic to see Daraja being implemented uh, in other areas. And I'm looking forward to seeing the results of these uh, continuing uh, pilot projects. Thank you so much, Sunina, for joining us today. 
on this podcast. It was a really uh, fascinating conversation. And uh, thank you for your time. Thank you, Nora. So we've been using the term action research throughout this episode. But what exactly is it? Action research actually has many definitions. The ARA has been on a journey to co-define what we mean by action research. We've done this through a variety of working groups in collaboration with a diversity of adaptation actors. To help us understand why the ARA focuses on action research as one of its key mechanisms for affecting change, we have Bruce Curry-Alder joining us now. Thanks for joining us, Bruce. First off, I'd like you to tell us, how do you define action research? This is a great question. And for myself, I think we really need to take a step back and understand what the the origins of this phrase is. Uh, For myself, what we're seeing now in the Alliance's Research for Impact principles is really a continuity of some thinking seen on the concept of participatory action research. The deeper thinking and practice of this, we can trace all the way back to the radical approaches of Paolo Freire or Robert Chambers, who really have championed how research and the creation of knowledge can empower and emancipate people, or what Marcia Sen would call in terms of human development, enabling people to realize and exercise uh, greater freedom. Now, Canada's International Development Research Centre, IDRC, that I work with, has a long tradition of this. And so since the beginning of our work on how are people responding and adapting to a changing climate uh, over the past 15 years, We've integrated this into our approach. So with seeing it now coming, if you will, to scale uh, in the Alliance has really galvanized our our, our thinking and, and excitement. Uh, if one takes a step back, I think we're entering into a period where we're seeing notions of what constitutes high quality research not just being defined by how are you contributing to the trusted knowledge that's published and available to the academia, but also how is one helping to catalyze meaningful and equitable climate action and contributing to greater human agency and capability, so becoming more resilient or better developed over time. Thank you. That you know, fantastic response, and I, I definitely agree the ARA is calling for action research as part of a paradigm shift in adaptation to climate change specifically. How is action research different from what we've already been doing so far? I think the response to that is at least twofold. Uh, One of which is referring to what we as the international community have been doing on climate research. And I think we've spent a good number of decades now understanding what is changing? Why is it changing? How may we need to respond? Uh, at this point, in the words of my colleague, Blaine Harvey, we've now entered into the age of implementation, of just getting on with it. We understand what needs to happen. How do we make that happen? In terms of uh, what I really find exciting is the Alliance has the opportunity to combine our efforts and collaborate at scale through that. At this point, we've been working individually within particular communities of practice. The opportunity of bringing those communities, whether it be climate science, humanitarian assistance, those practicing adaptation and leading climate action, uh, to come together and respond to this historic moment. We've now already entered a global climate that is outside of that experience by human civilization. Uh, none of our peoples have uh, been in circumstances like we've now entered into the 21st century. Uh, 
Yet we're also facing, and you can call it uh, the Occupy movement, you can call it Me Too, you can call it uh, the, the questions of how do we deal with racial equality or I- Indigenous justice, this period of really tackling the root causes of inequality. And if we're not careful, the call for climate action blindly could end up disadvantaging those that are already uh, in a weaker position. What we need to do is undertake climate action in a way that really addresses who has wealth, enjoys opportunity, who is exposed to the risks of a changing climate. So to be able to enhance equity and justice as we navigate the climate and continue to thrive, hopefully, and to continue navigating the changes, because we're not just looking at responding once to the climate that's about to come into existence within the next few years. But the world of 2040, 2050 will again be different than that we'll experience by 2030. Thank you, Bruce. Can you give us an example, maybe paint a picture for us of how action research may have reduced vulnerability of a person or a community to climate change? So I'd like to actually give two examples, and they're more about how researchers articulate with use. Uh, And the first would be what Dr. Eva Ludi, who led the Pathways to Resilience and Semi-Arid Economies Consortia, what she termed a policy-first approach to, to research. She really encouraged her team to start with the questions asked and the context faced by people in the real economy, whether it be local communities, small business, industry leaders, government officials, to take the time before setting a research agenda to say, what do these people need to know? And if they had that knowledge, what action could they undertake? Uh, The trick is to approach this with a degree of curiosity and humility, and then craft a research agenda that involves and responds to those needs. Uh, More concretely, within that same team, Elizabeth Carabine and Catherine Simonet dedicated substantial time to dialogue with various actors, identifying the climate risk facing value chains in particular countries. What is it about the production, distribution and sale of meat or milk that was perhaps vulnerable to particular climate risks? Where could new investment really uh, help make a more resilient value chain? And expanding beyond that to understand how people anticipate and react to repeated climate shocks in their business and livelihoods. It's one thing to look at the climate system and human society as a lot of infrastructure and weather, but how people understand and how they behave in the face of a changing climate is perhaps one of the great frontiers of our understanding and action moving forward. The second example, and I'll be just brief on this, is the rich experience of co-production, particularly in the Future Climate for Africa program. So to take the example of the Fractal Project, embedded individual researchers in city governments. So you had researchers working day in, day out uh, with folks that were dealing with real life issues of water supply, electrical power generation, uh, attending to citizen needs, How do you balance a budget? So being exposed to these real world issues that demanded knowledge, understanding how climate is interacting with governance challenges that cities are facing and the relationships with non-academic audiences. So I think that really was, uh, again, a sort of exemplar that we can hold moving forward about what it really means to do action research. 
wow, we can really see that great things have been and are being undertaken. Thank you for that response, Bruce. So what can the ARA do in addition to its current activities to strengthen action research for adaptation, in your opinion? So the Alliance, the ARA, has just gotten out of the gate. We've had the launch. We're bringing together this community. And the challenge is, what do we do with that community? And I think the best thing the Alliance can do is foster a sense of distributed leadership amongst its members, not only providing a meeting space, this large tent where we can come together, but encouraging members to find each other, work together, and take the initiative for different pieces of uh, the puzzle, different opportunities they can move forward. So we already have some planned work streams and gatherings, yet the rich potential of this membership is... Uh, going to require some curating and nurturing of the unplanned, identifying those promising ideas, having people step up to take uh, leadership of small groups of members to deliver on them. So the Alliance can create the dinner party, if you will, but it requires everyone who shows up to that dinner party to find interesting people to have conversations with and then realize the potential moving forward. Uh, to paraphrase my colleague, Georgina Kundal-Kemp, it requires this mix of engineered and emergent processes. You can set the table, but uh, how people act at that dinner party is what really matters. Thank you so much, Bruce, and thank you for your insights. That's been really fascinating, um, and thank you for taking the time to join us here today. And thank you, Nora. Pleasure to, to be part of the Alliance and really excited uh, to bring IDRC into that membership. The ARA tends to use Daraja as one of its examples of action research in practice. Daraja shows us the clear impact possible through action research, and it was included in a recently published evidence review from the ARA called Good Practices for Adaptation Action Research. I caught up with one of the evidence review authors, Dr. Sumati Pawagajar. I asked Sumati to tell me about the Good Practices for Adaptation Action Research evidence review. Here's Sumati. The report showcases evidence of adaptation action research in practice while offering preliminary insights into how the principles emerge and interact in particular contexts. The findings are based on an analysis of 20 projects and initiatives which have intentionally or not incorporated the principles into some elements of their work on adaptation. The projects that we scrutinized predominantly have a primary focus on research outcomes, while others are action projects that have a complementary or aligned research component. Our aim was to look at adaptation from a local or from the ground perspective, and to use these existing projects to teach funders, policymakers, and researchers how to implement action research in their own work. I was also interested to find out how they went about identifying these projects. Uh, we basically looked at the principles, the adaptation research for impact principles and converted them into a set of indicators. And then we applied these indicators to figure out criteria. And through that, the analysis was generated to gain a better understanding of how the principles can be operationalized in different ways. So the aim was that we have projects from the global south, they have adaptation research focus, but some of them are led by research while others have research in a supporting role. Sumiti then reflected on the great impact of the Daraja project, one of the projects identified in the evidence review and how that project is an example of action research. 
The Daraja project was notable or found to be notable by our analysis because they incorporated regular feedback in their pilot phases. They contextualized weather forecasts, which were co-designed by national meteorological officers, local community organizations, and residents of urban settlements to the needs of the end user. What we found was that the local partners and vulnerable urban residents were considered co-partners in the project and were consulted early on. This ensured that the weather and climate information produced, accessed and used by the local communities helped to build their resilience through better planning and preparedness in extreme events and day-to-day living. Sumiti also shared insights about two other projects. A couple of other projects that I would share here. The one is the Terai Arc Landscape Project which conserves the ecosystems of the Terai and Chirua hills in Nepal. It has a strong focus again on the inclusion of vulnerable groups. It aims to ensure the integration of traditional knowledge and respect for local decision-making with proactive empowerment of local women, the poor and disadvantaged in not just implementation, but also governance and access to resources. The next project that I would mention, would highlight, is the Urban Flood Resilience Project in Kibera. It has been an important part of KDI's work on bringing together the issues of public space, water, sanitation, flooding, and watershed remediation from the perspectives of community, but also from the perspective of supporting appropriate governmental engagement. This project, an urban project, also The process brought together residents, planners and policymakers with experts in vulnerability, flood risk assessment, community participation and the human impacts of infrastructure. What resulted from these collaborations in Kibera was the creation of an open source flood model of the settlement as as well as a data set of household survey information from close to a thousand respondents. This enabled a mapping of institutions as well as the location of disaster risks and how flood risk could be managed in Kenya and Nairobi, leading to pilot projects that demonstrated the appropriate use of these elements. In addition to risk mapping and flood modeling appropriate to an informal settlement and incorporating elements of social cohesion, resilience and green infrastructure Building the capacity of institutional stakeholders to engage in effective flood risk management was also recognized as a necessity. The overall objective of this project was to create a toolkit that could be used to implement flood risk reduction strategies in Kibera. And these ultimately incorporate local perspectives as well as the element of scalability across the global south. Lastly, I asked Sumiti to define action research for adaptation in her own words. We feel that action research and the way that it has been interacted with, interrogated through the adapt- by the adaptation community can provide a well-established framework for linking adaptation research to practice. It refers to a broad field of research that focuses predominantly on two objectives contributing to the practical concerns of people in a problematic situation and advancing social science. 
Action research therefore offers a promising means of ensuring that adaptation meets the requirements of ever-changing local, social and environmental contexts, which includes climate change impacts and risks. And what we found is that the adaptation research for impact principles are the next stage in the evolution of action research and participatory action research, which is the basis of the work that the adaptation community has been doing for the last more than two decades. That's all we had time for. But if you're interested in finding out more about this work, remember that you can find the evidence review on the ARA website. Read more about action research and the adaptation research for impact principles that Sumiti mentioned on our website. And if you agree, join us. The ARA is open to a broad spectrum of members, everyone from funders to researchers, development bodies, government, and even grassroots organizations. For now, that's all from the Action for Adaptation podcast. Thank you for sharing our second episode with us. And be sure to click subscribe to be alerted for our next episode. And follow the ARA on Twitter to keep up to date on all of our news. Until next time.